Well, we were away for a little while, but we are back with Season 2, Episode 1 of Listening to Life Together. So it's been about a year between the last episode, which was the end of Season 1, and this episode, which I guess is somewhat arbitrarily entitled Season 2, Episode 1. Um, and there's lots of reasons for that gap. I mean, COVID, of course, is one of them. We had to adjust and adapt our routines and rhythms and all those kinds of things, as as all of us did. And uh, And as we restarted things again, one of the things that we really wanted to get going or keep doing was hearing uh, and listening to each other's stories. And that's really what this podcast is about. It is born out of the, our, our small church in downtown Winnipeg called 188 Community Church. Uh, it's a fairly unique, diverse community that is made up of people from all sorts of different walks of life. And, and just as the scriptures are primarily told in story, because I have this, this suspicion that that's the way we best understand things is through story. Just as, um, as, as the scriptures teach us that way, Jesus often, most often taught that way, uh, I think we, we best understand each other and learn about each other when we hear each other's, each other's stories. And it's also about saying that every person has a story. You have a story. The people that we listen to have a story. I have a story. And each of our stories, stories matters. And uh, because we matter to, to God, we matter as, as part of God's creation and, and I think we need to honor each other by hearing each other's, each other's stories. So all that to say, I'm really grateful that we can be back in this space. I'm grateful that we can be uh, doing this again. And I look forward to uh, what we are going to listen to today. So thanks for joining us. My name is, is Dave Entz, by the way. I'm the pastor of 188 Community Church. And um, yeah, it's great to, be, great to be back with you. Today we're listening to Barb's story. And of course, I'm not, I won't give too much away here. I'll let Barb tell her own story. But one of the things that comes out of it for me as I listened to it and as I had this conversation with her is, is the patience that is required for us to take positive steps forward in life. And I think that's almost in anything. That can be in our, in our walk with God and in, in trying to be disciples of Jesus, people who more and more reflect who Jesus is in the way we walk. That can be in, in having healthy habits, uh, healthy practices, all the way from from you know physical health to emotional spiritual mental health all these kinds of things barb has this this um story that reflects that great word for that we translate it as patience now but the word is long suffering right that to 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 be well to make that journey that disentangles us from the things that hold us down it's a it's a journey of long suffering and we need to be patient in it and so uh, I, I hope that you hear that as Barb tells her story. At the time of, of recording this, she was sober, is sober for about 100 and something, 130, 120 days, something like that. Uh, with the good news being that she continues to be sober, even as I, uh, even as we publish this. And, uh, and so her journey is, it continues to be a positive one. But I, I hope that you're blessed as you listen to Barb's story and listen to her wrestle with where she has come from and what her hope is and, and what it takes to live into that hope and what is needed to live in that, into that hope that she has for herself, but also for her children and her, and her grandchildren, because that really is Barb's desire, right? To be, to be better. And, uh, and I hope you'll hear that as you, as you listen to this story today. I am sitting here with Barb and Barb is a friend. We've been friends for a bunch of years, five years. 
give or take. Is give it that or long? Give take, yeah. Yeah, it's good. And so, Barb, I'm, uh, I'm excited to give you this opportunity to uh, tell your story, recognizing that it's, um, it's, like it's not necessarily like a pretty always happy kind of story kind of thing, right? It's been, it's been a tough, tough go. But I think it's important because I, I think the journey you've been on and the way you've grown and the way that God has worked in the midst of that is really, really, like, is really significant. I'm probably going to cry. But... Okay, I don't have any <laughs> Kleenex, but we'll figure that out as we go. Well, why don't you like, like start? Where do, you, where, does thing, where do things start for you? Where were you born? Naked Portage, Manitoba. Okay, but you've been in Winnipeg for the vast majority of your life, right? Yeah, since I was five. When I was five, we moved here because my dad didn't want us to go to Cranberry for school. Okay. Because we'd have to leave the kid to go somewhere else to go to school from grade nine. Right. And up, and it's away from family and friends and, well, basically family because everybody up there is family. Yeah. And it didn't work out too good for him, so he wanted us to have a good education where we stay in one school all the way. And we did. Stayed in elementary Malvi school from grade two. Grade one to grade six, and then Gordon Bell seven to twelve. Okay, was family good? Like that? Was growing up? Was that a good thing? Was it? No, no way. Eh? We were in poverty. My dad had addictions, still does, but he's traded some of those addictions for others, like some others people. Most people trade one for the other. Sure. Yeah. And I'm trying not to do that. Yeah. I don't do anything. I'm boring now. <laughs> That's a boring, boring. Sometimes yeah, boring isn't good, but this is a, I think this is an okay boring that you find yourself in right now. Yeah, I'm happy. So you talk about your dad. Was there a mom in the picture? In and out. She left when I was five and didn't come back until I was 14 and then didn't come back again. She left again and didn't come back till I had Jillian when I was 22. And I gave her a chance then too, and I just told her, you're not doing that to my kids. And I never let her do that to my children. And she's never done that to them. So So what else? You raised here. You went to Gordon Bell. You did high school. Yeah, I did college in Calgary. Okay. I lived in Calgary for like six years. My first marriage was there. I was with my ex-husband, my father of my kids for 10 years. It was hell, literally. Yeah. It was not good. Yeah. Now, jump back a little bit. What happened when you were 14? Because you talk about that date as something significant there, too. Because my dad kicked me out for his girlfriend, and he didn't care where I went. My first night on the street was under a bridge. So you're 14, and you're... All I had was a garbage bag full of stuff. Not oh. even. It was like a, a wardrobe. Maybe clothes for three days, because that's all I had. My dad never got his stuff. How do you think? How do you think that... Now, I know we're looking backwards, and it can be hard to look backwards and, you know, say this is what it was like, but how do you think that shaped you? What was, what did that do to you at that at It that shaped age? me to be better. Like, explain that. What do you mean? To not be that way, not follow the cycle of what my dad did, what his parents did, what their parents did. I'm not, I wouldn't put my kids through it. I wouldn't put them through it. I wouldn't get them to feel like they're nothing and but I guess in a way telling them my story of how I live grew up and stuff gave them an interest to be kind of boneheads it's <laughs> a proper word to say fair enough <laughs> so how does a 14 year old survive when you're out on the street by yourself anything and everything it was do or live or die hmm. basically 
And then I found a guy that said would take care of me and be safe, and that was the night I was supposed to die. So he beat me up pretty bad. Told me nobody loved me. Threw me on the street. Sold me. And then I got really, really sick. He dropped me off at a clinic, and I never seen him again. So did you use, like, shelters? Did you... I didn't know any about anything about that. No way. And I went to friends' places, and one that I called my sister, like, she's dying now. She showed me where everything was. So you come out of that thinking, okay, i got to be better than this. This is a cycle that I can't, I can't continue. What else? What else does that but time in your life... framed it to one thing. I didn't do the whole overall. I didn't... What do you mean? What do you mean by that? Every abscess, every corner of it, all the way around. I only looked at one angle, and that was it. And that was where I felt that I was let down, that I didn't want to let down my children, but... I think I was wrong. I only sheltered them from what I thought they should not know. Because I was still a drunk. I was still doing drugs. And I was still on pills. Yeah. But they never knew that. Until Jill was 15, 14, 15, she knew. They knew I smoked weed, but they never knew anything else. Right. So when did that start for you? The addiction side of things start for you? When I was 13, 14. So before you were out on the street already? Mm-hmm. Because I went to a friend's place once. And this was like a week, exactly a week before my death. Because I turned 14. And then like three days later, he kicked me out. And it was actually a week before my birthday that I went and smoked my first joint and had my first drink. And then after that, it was easy. Yeah. Because I didn't like it at the beginning. I was like, oh, I don't get why people get this or why they drink or why they do this. Like, I freaked out on the weed and, and I got pukey sick on the alcohol. Or, uh, but my dad kicked me out. That's when I was like, ah, might as well. Hmm. It's there. It's easy. Yeah. I went pretty easy route when I was 14. I didn't go work. I didn't do anything until I was 16 and then I got pregnant. I lived at Villa Rosa, but I was 16, and I didn't want to be a mother yet. Yeah. It was hard. How old are you now? 42. So lots has happened between between 14, 15, 16, and 42. I want to live life and whatever, and it's not where I plan and everything. I go where I feel like I need to be. Hmm. I don't know if that makes any sense. Well, is there another way to explain that? Because that doesn't make any sense. No. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like if I have to go there, like when I look at someone on the bus and they look sad, yeah. or if they're hungry and I have something, I give them. Like if there's something inside me saying, mm. give it, give it. Mm. Then I do. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. I know it is interesting because I never followed that before, my inner voice. To me, I say that's God speaking to me. Nice. Yeah. God's my inner voice. It's amazing when you follow that inner voice. I've never followed it before. <laughs> I'm just thinking of both my marriages. I'm like, oh, no. Didn't give me no signs about that. I think it did, but I just like, bloop, over my head. Went. One of the things that I think characterizes your journey is that you find importance, you find significance in community, right? Whether it be family or whether it be some kind of community. I mean, that's always been really important to you. You talk about your family a lot. I love my family. Yeah, yeah, and and isn't it interesting that that family can 
there can be this love-hate thing with family, right? That, of course, you love your family, but family also at times gets us into, like, some incredible trouble. Mm-hmm. And, like, so how, how have you, what, what, has that, what has that been like in your life? Like, how have you, how have you navigated the ups and downs of, of, of family? When my yourself? grandparents were alive, our family got together every year. Christmas, every Christmas, right from Christmas to January 2nd. We were always together. Yeah. Then everybody went back to their lives and went home. And when my grandparents died, they tried to keep that alive, like everybody living in Thicket and going to Thicket and partying and everything, having the family thing and all the cousins getting together and going skidooing and everything. When everybody started passing away and moving away, kind of just died. No one got together anymore. Now it's on Facebook, Merry Christmas. Yeah. And I'm like, mm. me and my brother were... Me and my baby brother were talking about it the other day. We should bring back the tradition. So do you think it's detrimental? Like it's, it's hurt the family not to get together? The family so is hurt. Mm. Because when we get together, they always drink and then they cry and then they talk. Oh, this, remember this. And they're too, to me, I think they're just afraid of seeing their hurt, feeling their hurt, right. and going through the emotions. Because it's better to stuff than to feel. And that's what I was taught. Like, oh, stop crying. It's going to get better. Just hold it in. Yeah, yeah. And I'm like, now I'm like, I tell my kids, okay, cry. Go ahead. Because mm. people used to tell my son that boys don't cry, men don't cry. And I kept putting a stop. I'm like, yes, men cry. Yeah. I said, boys cry. I said, just let them cry. And then I was doing that to Trent, and Jillian was like, I thought you said boys cry. <laughs> ah. <laughs> I was like, okay then. Now when he cries, I'm like, it's okay. It's okay to cry. Yeah. yeah. I'm like, it's okay. Are you okay? Yeah. That's what he said. That's hard, eh? That, I mean, it's so hard to dive into our inner selves and try to deal with what's going on in ourselves and going on with our, or deal with our sadness or our fears or whatever it is. Because at one level, it seems so much easier, just like you said, just, you know, to don't acknowledge it, don't deal with it, or medicate around it, or, you know, do some other kind of things to cope with it. What I heard was the most thing I've ever heard of anybody saying, it's too hard. Hmm. And I, my words always say, who made life easy? And they're like, oh, good. I'm like, no, he didn't. He didn't make life easy. Yeah, yeah. You've, uh, you, you've talked about marriage a couple times. You've been married twice, yeah. you said. And once was in Calgary? Uh, yeah, I met my first husband here. Oh, okay. I lost my adopted mom, and then we left. How long did that marriage last? Ten years. All right. We were together for two, three, four, four years, and then we got married. So married for six. And then you've been married again? Yeah, that was not a good one. When did that happen? Uh, November 2018. That was like a oops. What makes it an oops? That's, I mean, uh, this isn't about just digging up dirt, but what makes it an oops? I wasn't in it for that because I thought I loved him. I didn't feel that I loved him. Mm. I thought I loved him because he said, oh, you're my everything, but now I'm calling on it. It was not a good marriage. It still ain't. In the beginning, I thought it was, but really looking at it, it was never a good marriage. What, so what was the impact? Talk about the impact of, of this, this marriage on maybe on the life of your family, your own life. My second marriage? Yeah. I lost everything, meaning my kids, the custody of my children, the trust of my family, 
and a distance between my family and myself, and I lost me. Hmm. And that's a significant one. And that's going to hurt because I can feel it. How long in that time were you guys without a home? Three years. Because he thought it was good. He liked the easy road. And for me at that point, it was good because I lost my kid. But in a way, it was a blessing in disguise. In what way? That they wouldn't have to see their mom getting abused by her partner. They didn't have to see anything bad happen in their home while he was there. And I didn't have to worry. The only thing, I didn't even, after that, I didn't even worry about myself. I tried to commit suicide of April 2019. Is that around the time you connected in here? At, at it was shortly after. Yeah, that's what I think. I'm when I came in like a tornado. And yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's an accurate description, yeah. It, it was, it was like anything you can pull out of a tornado is probably what I was. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, we, we talk about the impact that addictions and these kinds of things have on like you've talked about, right? You lost your family, your kids were, you lost custody of your kids, you lost a place to live. Like what, what does falling into these, these patterns, what does that, how does that impact the relationship with yourself? Because I'm intrigued by your comment that I lost, I lost myself. Like what, the, what, does that, what does that mean? I lost where I wanted to go in life, where I wanted to be, who I wanted to be. I just lost me. And I didn't care when I lost myself. I didn't care. Mm. I was like, oh, well, no one cares. Well, I won't. But now I'm 100-something days sober. Yeah, and that's, that's the beautiful thing about, I think, about your story, right? Now you're about a third of a year sober. And what has changed? Like, what's changed? Everything. <laughs> I've never been sober in my life. Really, eh? Never been so you sober can't since remember I was a time of of being. You can't remember a time when which you were sober. Yeah, I can tell people I never drank for four years, but I was still dabbling in pills and right. coke and other stuff. But this, I'm even off depression pills. Like that's awesome. I'm not taking nothing. So what's that's been important? So <laughs> what's been important for that? How, like, how did you Me. get to this? I'm important. Yeah. I didn't do it for anybody. I didn't do it for somebody else. And do it for that person, nobody. I had to do it for me, because when I did it for other people, I hid behind a closet and said, yeah, I'm not doing it for no. Yeah, yeah. But I was really doing something behind closed doors. But now, I did it for me. So having people who cared about you, that was an, been an important part of, being, of, of getting sober? You know, the one person that made a big impact in my life, he died. Hmm. Harry, he saved my life. He's the one that got me to realize that there's more importance out there than a drink. Yeah. It so hurts. Because I remember the last words he said to me. He goes, what are you back out here for? Mm. You got out. Go back. And he goes, I'm not being mean or anything. He said, I'm being a friend. Yeah. And just before I seen it, I heard about his death. I, I was going to go tell him, thank you. Because his words saved me. And they really did. Because those words I carry. If I want to jump off the wagon, or I say jump because most days I do want to jump off it. Hmm. Do the tuck and roll thing <laughs> <laughs> with a beer in my hand. Yeah, yeah. I can hear him. You don't need it. 
but he was a real true friend. Yeah. He couldn't get out himself because he was, he said he was too broken already, too lost. He says, I don't, he, he didn't want to. So what has, uh, I, I know you've said everything changed since you've been sober, but talk about like the relationship with your kids. How, how has that it's changed? stronger, really strong. My son's a little lost right now, but he knows his mom's going to be here. No matter what he does or where he goes or what happens, because he's not well. And I got to trust in my daughter Maggie back and Jillian. Well, I know Jill. You know about Jillian already because I can bring Trent. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Yeah. I can take Trent, and he's like, no, 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 Mama, no, no. <laughs> so, like, it's interesting, you know, if you think about where, <laughs> think about where we started, and you talked about yourself as a 14-year-old out on the street and recognizing that I have to be better than this. And then you have this long, whatever it is, 30 year journey that takes you in a lot of different directions. And now finding yourself sober, and it's almost like you're, you're, you're in this space now where you can, uh, in, in a better way, live out this idea that I have to be better than, than the cycles that I was born into, uh -huh. right? And you're in a space where you can do that with your kids, right? To say that this isn't, we're not predestined to, predetermined to be in, in these kinds of cycles in life, mm -hmm. but we can, we can break them. Every day I see some, like I look at people and I'm wondering what goes through their head or when they look at homeless people and my daughter, she goes, well, they had the choice. I'm like, some people don't have the choice. Ah, yeah. I'm like, they don't have the choice sometimes. It was, oh, what they wanted, they're going to have to have, want it. And I'm like, yeah, that's one point. But going through and going through those steps is another word, another dimension, another way to go. Yeah. I said, and some people are scared to open that door. Some people are scared to open that door and go through it and live through it, and see what's on the other side of that rainbow. But One of the things I think that's so powerful about your story, Barb, is, is it helps us to see that breaking cycles and you know, to use your language, doing better, it, it takes a, it, it's not easy. It's hard. And for everybody who, who can sit back and say, well, why don't, why doesn't that person just choose something different? You know, they, they have a choice. They, they, why don't they just choose? It's, it's not, it's, it's a pretty complicated, uh, pretty complicated environment uh, out of which these patterns emerge. Again, I think of this timeline you've given us, right? Kicked out at 14, I've got to do better. 30 years later, you're finally here where you're thinking, I think I'm now able to do it at a point where I can do better. But that's, that's a long journey in between. It's tiring. Yeah. But it's a good tired, I think. Yeah. Because I've accomplished so much. And a lot of people think, why, why didn't you leave, leave everything behind, like the street and move out of the area? And I'm like, why? Like, if I did it here, then, then I know I can make it anywhere. Like, I can sit in... MSP or Salom and just like wow I was there and a lot of people see me and they're like oh you do stuff behind closed doors I'm like no nothing at all I've never been sober not like this like, that, like 100 is, and plus days yeah which is so exciting I'm, I'm that's so good and everyone is oh why are you counting days I said because every day counts yeah <laughs> it does it counts whether it's a good day or a bad day it still counts I gave up pop for 30 days that's a lie it was 28 days. <laughs> <laughs> it was 28 days. 
because I got sick and I needed the ginger ale, and I was like, "This is roots. It's not pop. My daughter, it's pop. It bubbles." Ah, uh, ginger ale is basically a medicinal drink anyway, so you're all, <laughs> you're all, you're all fine. Now, you and I have talked about this before, but maybe for the sake of what we're doing here, where where has, like, where has your journey uh, with God fit into into all this? Uh, as you, he's as a big gone? part of it. Was like, was God part of your growing up life? Was that? Uh, I grew up Catholic. Okay. I lived in, we basically lived in the church. Oh, interesting. We yeah. went to church like every, was it Friday, Saturday, Sunday evening? Sunday was all day. Yeah. Like morning, evening. And it just seemed, I don't know, pushed on us. Well, I felt like it was pushed on me. I didn't understand God the way I do, like, in this past year. Well, what's changed? I believe in him more. I trust him more. And I had to. And where along this journey have you experienced, like where would you say you've experienced a connection with God? In the past year, every day, there was something that tells me to be better and pray more. And I do. Before I used to play once in a while, read my Bible once in a while. Yeah. But now I, I have it on my phone, so I just sit there and listen. I read my daily devotion. Because I thought for the longest time that he wasn't listening. He wasn't giving me that hope. I was just getting it in a different way. Hmm. Like when I come to this like church here, and you talk about it, I'm thinking about stuff before that, and I'm like, okay, there's my answer. Mm, neat. Whatever yeah. you talk about, yeah. I'm like, cool. Yeah, that is cool. Yeah. And it's stuff that I needed to hear. When I ask for help, they say it's like he sent me someone to help. Hmm. With a similar story or something that I I understand about that person, I want to help someone that doesn't understand God. I don't want to force it down their throat or anything, but I want to show them that He does work in a mysterious way. Yeah, and it really is true. I want to be a better me for others. That's a big part of it, right? To work out of a healthy you, and and often it's the irony that we run into that that we think I have to help, 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 help. And neglect myself, but but to find some sense of I, I got to work out of a healthy me. It actually helps other people when I myself am healthy. Mm-hmm. And so yeah, no, it's it's really important. Yeah. And I think I'm seeing that too. I, I'm seeing that in you too. The way you interact with your kids, um, you know, you care for your your grandchild. It it comes out of a healthy you. I love Trent so much. And that's and that's really important. That's a that's a really important thing. It's been neat to watch that. Painful. Because it has been a painful journey, as you've said, but it's been really neat to watch it. And it is true what people say. You, your child is a reflection of what you see. And when I see Trent, and I'm like, that's how my kid used to act. Mm, yeah. <laughs> She's letting Trent feel. And then she was trying to hide herself, like, I'll be right back when she was breaking out. I said, no. I said, let him see you. I said, that was my problem when you guys were growing up because I never let you see me break down. Mm. And that was true. And when you said you have to let them see you break down, you got to let them see the hardship that you go through. And that's what got me to start saying that. Nice. I said, let him see you break down so he understands that it, it's okay. Right. And she was like, yeah, okay. And then she'd give him a hug. And he was like, like he would be blubbering with her. Yeah. And I'm like, that's what a parenting is about. Yeah. It's like you being there for each other. Because if we don't understand that, that life has some really hard parts to it, then when we do encounter the hard parts, all we try to do is 
is either get rid of them or hide them or, or suppress them in such a way, right? And that's, that's when we start medicating or doing whatever we have to do to cope with that, as opposed to, yeah, let's face, let's face what it is that we're, that we're going through. I don't remember really the first two years I was on the street. That's how medicated I was. Yeah, that's a little scary. I woke up once and I was in the middle of Higgins in Maine, like literally. Like literally in the middle of the street? Yeah. Oof. And when I came to, the car was going beep, and I was like, oh, what the hell did you do? I'm standing <laughs> and I look around, oh, I'm in the middle of the street. Oh my God. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I went, went running and I go a little ways and then I see my husband lying on the sidewalk and I'm like, well, he didn't fall asleep very far. <laughs> Like he put the blanket out and he goes, I didn't want to wait for you anymore. You were just getting mad. <laughs> and I was like, well, why do you leave me in the middle of the street? You guys left you at the Thunderbird house. <laughs> <laughs> and I woke up in the middle of the road. So. And that's one thing I don't regret is being on the street. Really, eh? I don't regret it. In what way? Like why? Why do you say that? Because it got me to be who I am today. Oh. Did you look back on that and you're like, no, I don't want to do that anymore. I'm right. good, thanks. For sure, it's a part of shaping who you are. So you've been sober for uh, over 100 days now. And like you said, it's changed everything, right? It's changed your relationships, most importantly, I think most importantly. It's changed how you think about yourself and who you are and rediscovering yourself. What's, what's your hope moving forward? What do you hope for? For yourself or for your kids or for your, your grandkid? What, like what, what's your hope? Uh, my hope is for me. Okay. More strength more moving forward, more strength to fight whatever needs to be done. How real is the, is the struggle still after 100 plus days of sobriety? It's like I just was sober starting today. Okay. It's hard because I go through everything every day and it seems like it's just easier just to go get that pill, like to be numb and not feel. That's the hard thing. That's the one thing I always struggled with, my feelings. I still do, because there's times where I'm just like, mm, I bite my lip, or not say anything that I'm not supposed to say. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's like not open my mouth when I'm not needed, or it's not needed. If somebody says, "Oh, I need something," or blah, 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 they start crying and they're, they need someone to hear. They don't need to hear. Oh, you shouldn't do that. Shouldn't do that. You should do it this way. And they're like, "Huh." so much for you listening yeah so that's the part I mean like I have to listen and not say nothing because sometimes that's all they need sometimes it's the best thing you can say is nothing yeah good for you that's yeah. a, that's a big that's a, that's a big deal it is and you know me yeah because you talk it, it, a lot <laughs> it's like verbal diarrhea well and we've talked before about when something manifests itself in anger to recognize is it really that you're angry or is it really that you've got something going on in yourself that you're not willing to face. And this is the easiest way to not face it, is to just make it somebody else's problem, right? Yep. I don't even do anger anymore. Wow. Like, I don't say, oh, I'm not, I'm just angry, okay? And I'm like, I'm getting angry, but it's not the anger. Hmm. I'm like, I'm hurt. And there's something that I'm trying to get out, but I don't want to get it out to the wrong person. So I do a lot of writing, a lot of singing, Good a lot of talking to myself. Yeah. And they're like, everybody's going, huh? I'm like, I'm not talking to you. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so. It's really, people think you're crazy when you talk to yourself, so I'm like, fine, I'm, I'm crazy. Doesn't bother me. <laughs> yeah. Think I'm crazy. It's just if I put it out there and it's out, 
of my mind and my mouth and I'm not sitting on it. Yeah. No, I, I think that's there's something really healthy about that, right? To process through or to recognize I've got to be aware of where these things are coming from. And yeah, however you need to do that. If it's journaling or singing or talking out loud, it's, it's yeah, I do walk. It. I walk about 14,000 steps a day. It's a lot of steps. Yeah, because I walk from here to Wolseley to Jill's back this way, and we go for a walk around the park. Yeah. So you hope for strength, which which makes a lot of sense. What else do you What else do you hope for, as you have been rediscovering who you are? More hope, never to lose it. Yeah. Because my journey, I've lost my hope a lot. I've lost hope in life. I lost hope in people. I lost hope in myself. Yeah, we've had those talks. Those are hard ones. So how do you keep it? How do you keep your hope? Knowing that I'm going to be better the next day. Tomorrow's going to be a better day. Yeah. Tomorrow's going to be a better you. And that's what I keep saying every night when I go to bed. It's not people or someone will, like Jill will hear me say, have a better tomorrow. And she'll go, huh? And I'm like, yeah, shut up. Don't, I'm not talking to you. And then Trent goes, yeah, no, no, yeah. <laughs> like, he's always with me. Like, he's on me, calling on me, all over. I look at those stuff as a reward. So I look at it if he comes and tells me I love you today. And I'm like, thank you. And that's my reward for the day. Or if Jill says, I love you, Mom, and she puts her head on me. That's a reward. And Maggie saying, oh, I want to come home now. That's a reward. Or her saying, I believe I'm coming home this time. Mm. That's a reward. Mm. Yeah. And my brother telling me, keep it up, Barbie. Keep it up. Yeah. Because they don't call me Barbara, Barbara. They call me Barbie. That's what I grew up with. And he goes, go another hundred days, Barbie. And I told my mom, and she was like, right on, make another hundred. And I'm like, damn right. And she's like, wow, you're really off of everything. You're normal. I'm like, mom, nothing normal about me. Yeah. <laughs> I can vouch for that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> What really helped me too was our talks. You're the one person in my life that, at that point in my life, that would listen and understand. Well, and it comes back to that idea that's kind of run throughout this whole time is, is, is that the, the journey towards being better, to use that phrase um, that we've been using, the journey towards being better is, is, a, is a really hard one because the patterns and the cycles and and, and the habits are so ingrained in us. And, and even your comment about, you know, 100 plus days of, of sobriety and how often it is a fight every day. And why, you know, partially because you've been, it's been way longer than 100 plus days that you weren't sober. And we don't just break things that easily. These are, these are pretty layered, layered realities that need to be, it takes time to, to work through all the layers that have brought us to these points. When I quit drinking the first time, I quit drinking for, I think it was five, seven years, five to seven years. When I started going to college and everything, I went, oh, I'll have a drink here. I'll have a drink. When the kids were sleeping, or if they went to their dad for a weekend, or if he come by and I'd say, hey, see you. Like, I'd take off and have a drink. And that was mine. Drink and pills were the biggest. And it still is because it's so easy not feel nothing and sometimes you miss that sometimes I do I want to be better so the hope for more strength is a good one and every day I get a little more hope yeah a little more strength 
and I keep filling the cup. Awesome. And That's I wake good. up every day glad that I'm alive. Barb, this is a really good story. Um, I appreciate you. I really appreciate you sharing this with, with all of us who are listening. I think what you've done for us here is you've given us a really powerful image of the kind of work and the kind of support and the kind of faith that is needed in order to, to break through some of the things that have been part of your life, the lives that, that were before you and, and, and the work that it takes. So I, I really am really appreciative of that. Thank you. Thanks for sharing. This is great. And uh, we always, of course, I know that our journey together won't end. No, you're not getting rid of me this. Yeah, no, I know, I know. That's okay. That's okay. I know where you lurk. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Thanks a lot, Barb. Yes. Thanks for taking time to listen to this episode of Listening to Life Together. Uh, My hope is that we'll be more regular in getting episodes out over the next little while, as it's something that we that we love doing. Uh, love hearing each other's stories. And this is also 10 years that we've been in existence as a church community. And so we're hoping to do some special things with that. If you would like more information about who we are, who 188 Community Church is and what we're about, uh, I'd love to chat with you about that. You can email me at dave at 188.org. That's D-A-V-E at O-N-E-8-8 dot O-R-G. I uh, would love to chat with you about what's going on and where opportunities to get involved, to serve, all those sorts of things. It's a uh, it's a pretty, well, I mean, I, I know I'm biased, but uh, it's, it's a pretty unique, pretty, pretty lovely community. And uh, I'd love to have you uh, check it out in whatever way that might look for you. So thanks again for being with us. God bless you as you go into whatever it is that lies ahead of you. And I pray that this story was a blessing and, and that you'll, uh, you'll be encouraged as you, uh, as you go about your own journey. So thanks for listening. Have a good day. So even sober, sober, even sober. I'm not wish I was sober right now. Are <laughs> <clears throat> you sober? <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>